fraud, tax evasion, stashing assets across the border. Welcome to the world of white-collar crime in Slovenia and Croatia. I'm Timothy Large from the International Press Institute in Vienna, and you're listening to the IJ for EU podcast. In each episode, we take a behind-the-scenes look at cross-border journalistic investigations supported by the Investigative Journalism for Europe Fund. That's IJ for EU for short. And today, we're talking about a small haven for white-collar crime an investigation that draws on documents from the Pandora Papers, the biggest leak of offshore financial data in history, and the biggest collaborative investigation ever. I'm delighted to be joined by Anushka Delic, founder and editor-in-chief of Ostro in Slovenia. There's a lot of opaque business connections between the two countries. And Mashenka Bacic, deputy editor-in-chief of Ostro in Croatia. You need to be Patient and uh, stubborn and uh, don't quit. Patient, stubborn, don't quit and be insane, basically. Be insane, yeah, 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 that's for sure. The four pillars of investigative journalism. <laughs> being stubborn, don't quit, and be insane. <laughs> now, in Slovenian and Croatian, the word ostro means sharp. And that's exactly how I would describe the investigative journalism outfit that goes by that very name. Set up in the Slovenian capital of Ljubljana in 2018, Ostro cuts like a scalpel to investigate topics in the public interest of people living in the region. Last year, Ostro set up a sister branch across the border in Croatia in the capital, Zagreb. And together, they probed how dodgy business networks have sprouted up almost unchecked, nourished by the two nations' proximity and their EU memberships. The only thing you didn't get right is that Ostro is not called Ostro because of the meaning of sharp. Uh-huh. Ostro is also a wind blowing in the Adriatic Sea directly from the south. And I really love the name because usually people think it's called Ostro because the meaning sharp. However, in Slovenian, ostro is only a word for the wind, whereas the word for uh, sharp is ostro without the sh. And in Croatian, both are called with the sh. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, we wouldn't have, how do I put it, proper Slovenian name if we were called ostro, meaning the word sharp, because it's not the right word. And then there's another distinction here where, especially nowadays in Ljubljana in the last couple of years during the pro-Orban government, let's say the people who support the ruling party are very sensitive to the fact of whether somebody is 100% Slovenian or not. So they tend to also smear Ostro for having a non-Slovenian name because they don't know that there is a wind called Ostro. So as you see, It brings up a lot of interesting conversations. It sets the stage in a way because it shows what what we have here are two countries, obviously neighbors, obviously formerly part of Yugoslavia, that share an awful lot in common language to some extent and culture and history as well. Closely aligned countries in many ways, but they're not the same. Yeah, definitely the two countries are similar but different. And the proximity and the mutual history of the two countries and of course the EU status really make it 
easy for practically any either proceeds of an opaque activity or takeovers of companies, shady practices moving across the border, it's very easy. And we've been seeing this in both countries for many years where stories sooner or later end up in Slovenia or the other way around, so in Croatia. And from there, usually these trails go outside of you know, the country, either to Bosnia or to other European member states or some offshores. And it's just a two hour drive, less than a two hour drive from Ljubljana to Zagreb. So it's extremely easy uh, to plan your opaque business while keeping this in mind. And then also Bosnia is just another couple of hours also away where in Banja Luka we are seeing the establishment often onshore, offshore jurisdiction slowly in Republika Srpska. It's quite an interesting micro region if you're a criminal. We use this, of course, in our stories. And this was one of the motivations for choosing the stories that we chose from the Pandora Papers because we wanted to start highlighting this fact that there's a lot going on between the two countries. And I'm not sure that anyone is systematically looking at it. And so we uncovered how the collaborators of, or let's say associates of informal advisor to the current prime minister in Slovenia, Janusz Janša, were involved in moving assets into Croatia that came from very shady biogas operation of a company that used to be extremely well-positioned in Slovenia, and then all of a sudden everything went to beep. And sooner or later, the assets of these biogas plants were spread around, or how do I, what's the right word? They're not divided. Were taken out of the companies and purchased by people connected to this group in order to just suck the companies dry so that they are not as valuable anymore. And they can just simply be struck off. There are a lot of liquidation proceedings were started also that didn't really go anywhere because the assets were no, no longer there. And we were quite interested in finding out the details of how these businesses were structured because we now had the, some of the information that we would not be able to get otherwise. That is the offshore data that we found in, in Pandora Papers. How much data were you dealing with? What was the scale of this? Because obviously Pandora Papers was massive. This is a, a micro region, as you describe it, so considerably smaller in scale, I imagine. But were you trawling through past uh, numbers of documents? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. it was compared to, we're still working in both countries, in both Ostros in Ljubljana and Zagreb are still working on Pandora paper stories because A, the teams are just too small to cover everything. And uh, B, there's just too much data to deal with. If I compare it to the Panama Papers, where I worked on just the Slovenian stories, now we have three times more data. And uh, I actually looked up the hits we had for Croatia and Panama Papers, and we also have three times more data for Croatia now. It doesn't say anything about the quality of the hits or the data that we can get. For example, we are currently working on a... Pandora paper, a Croatian Pandora paper story where we could use more, more data, but there simply isn't more data. So yeah, we have 
quite a lot of stories still to come. The teams are small, especially the one in Croatia, which is also new and fresh. And they've only began working together in September or at the end of August. So it's been quite intense for that, for, for the Croatian team. And I really, they should, I really want to commend them on, on, on the way they handled everything. This is really a lot of pressure all of a sudden. How have you found it? Has it been a nightmare <laughs> few months or what's your experience been? Yes, yes it has been. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> no, just wanted to add about the connection between two countries. The idea for this uh, project came, I think, at the, when we started to look into Croatian, Slovenian names and then realized that this person in, in that appeared in Pandora papers have companies in Croatia or in Slovenia. And that was how we realized there, there are stories in it. We focused on them because they were bilateral, because they really were highlighting the not so well-known fact, maybe outside of the two countries, that there's a lot of opaque business connections between the two countries. It's giving a new definition to offshore, isn't it? When I think all these offshore investigations we've had, the Paradise Papers and so on and so forth, we think of little islands that are <laughs> offshore jurisdictions. But here we have uh, the squirreling of money across borders to places very close and nearby and within the same, even the same EU. I think what it says is, you said you look at offshore jurisdictions as these small island places where there's there's nothing much beaches and offshore businesses, which is, I guess, fairly true. I don't know. I've never been to an offshore jurisdiction personally, although I'd love to check out the British Virgin Islands. But what it says is that I'm pretty sure that other countries in Europe have this situation. The Baltic countries also, every single story pretty much that comes out of Latvia or Lithuania or Estonia is connected to the, uh, you know, from the bunch. And we, of course, it's normal that we're seeing it in the area of former Yugoslavia. But it is helped by the fact that we are, that both countries are members of the EU. And the, in, the now infamous freedom of movement of people and really fuels this business a lot. The connections were there before already in Yugoslavia. A lot of people have, if I look at it from the Slovenian point of view, a lot of people have companies and assets in houses, apartments in Croatia. They have acquaintances, family members, I don't know. And so it's very easy to structure a shady businesses or business activities because it's quite it just makes it even that much harder to to unravel them and for the law enforcement to do anything and then again it depends on the situation in the country for example now in Slovenia a lot of the I have to presume because nobody actually knows but I presume that the, most of the investigations involving some of the people that we have all already highlight also highlighted in the project small haven for uh, white collar crime are at a standstill because the police has been uh, politically usurped by the government. Even if maybe the counterparts in Croatia are doing their job, nobody knows who's doing, if anyone's doing their job in Slovenia. So that just makes pro pro processes much longer. And if in, in such long proceedings, usually not much comes out of it because by the time the, the thing is in court, uh, a lot of time has passed and then we could even look at cases falling through the cracks because simply too much time has passed. And yeah, we really wanted to also jumpstart the focus for the two centers by choosing these bilateral stories that maybe are not as 
crazy interesting outside of this microregion, but they are very uh, telling of how things work for this microregion. Uh, Abs- absolutely. Yeah. And what has the response been like in both countries? Has there been much public interest in, in what you've found or has it fallen on deaf ears? For some stories, yes. But I think the problem with these big projects is that people's expectations go way up and they expect to see names of the top echelon of politicians somehow revealed and that doesn't happen. So they tend to lose interest. We try to keep that interest up with bringing stories, (laughs) more stories, but it's it's an uphill battle, definitely. It's definitely now different than what it used to be like at the time of Panama Papers because it was a huge shock. Now it was just even greater than Panama Papers, the project. And we did get some excellent data and we do have still some excellent names to report on our stories, but it's not the top echelon. It's not the prime minister. It's not the president. People expect that. And then when they don't get it, they look at other things that they can click on. But one thing, definitely we've had really good feedback from when also law enforcement started some proceedings, some investigations that we don't know into which story precisely. Uh, because they're not telling. But for Ostro in Croatia, it was a different challenge than for Ostro in Ljubljana because Ostro in Croatia was launched one week before the launch of Pandora Papers. And this was a soft launch without a story. The situation was that much harder because the had to break through with the Pandora Papers stories and kind of position themselves on the, uh, in the, the environment. But I will let Mashenko speak also about that. Mashenko sounds like yeah. a, a baptism of fire to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but on the other hand, like uh, this was the first uh, uh, big project in which creation journalists appeared after a few years. So we got the attention by that, I think. I, I wouldn't say that it wasn't, uh, that uh, people didn't read, that the mainstream media did not uh, cover what we did. It's the EU. Yes. There are some sort of rules that politicians have to follow. So usually the shady activities, the shady business deals happen at the lower level of informal advisors and their groups of actors that they work with. And this is precisely one of the biggest problems of investigating corruption and white-collar crime in Slovenia, Croatia, because A, both countries are very small, so people's interests and lives are very intertwined and tend to find people that don't want to step on people's toes because literally you just turn around and you step on somebody's toe in such a small country. And then, of course, the geographical proximity makes it much easier to basically do Anything between the two countries, the historical significance, of course, also makes it easier because people know the languages, they understand the languages, they they have people and acquaintances there. And then all of these rules that they have to abide to, it's not a candidate country where there's a lot of room to, to do, to be corrupt in more open kind of ways. So... it's precisely in these sort of deals that that wanted to stay hidden, but they didn't manage to stay hidden because of Pandora Papers or other leak, mm. big leaks. Precisely these smaller maybe cases show 
how how this works. It doesn't happen at the top level because it's too dangerous to happen. You know, it's too dangerous in terms of dangers to, to be uncovered, to, to be revealed. Let's take a step back for a minute and talk about the environment in which you're both working. It's an environment in which the space for quality journalism is shrinking. It's un- the unfortunate state of the media and journalism today. Yeah, but uh, it's maybe more like it's more seen in our countries because they are smaller, so the problems are bigger. Yeah, definitely. It's much harder to alleviate the problems because the critical mass is small because it's a small country. I did used to work in a part of in a company that was a part of the problem. So I know we're now trying to fight the good fight. But before that, I was immersed into a media environment where I was seeing every day the problems of our profession. My frustration and one of the reasons for establishing Austria and Ljubljana first and then this, the, the one in Croatia was that I was seeing with my own eyes how my profession is declining, how reporters are publishing bullshit and are trying to pass it as some great news, how reporters are getting some information from someone that could or could not be true and they call three people get their statements and then write a big splashy article with some clickbait uh, headline and then they call that investigative journalism. I was seeing this and it was bothering me. It was bothering me that we didn't have fact-checking capabilities. There is no fact-checking in any of the media in Slovenia or Croatia in terms of internal fact-checking to speak of. I was just frustrated by all this and... um, Actually, I have to say that today, the four years after I've established Austria Ljubljana, I'm even more frustrated <laughs> because we are trying to fight the good fight. But on the other side, I see that the media environment is declining even more. Now, in the last two years, especially in Slovenia, with the help of the government, of course, because they are trampling a media freedom on a daily basis. But the media profession had issues, journalism had issues before Jancha came to power in Slovenia. And, and journalism has issues in Croatia. And I'll let Mashenka speak about that if she wants to. Or I can say it in your name so we don't feel so. <laughs> so that you can look into, that you can run into your colleagues in Croatia. If I speak about it, no, no, that's what I can see. <laughs> no, I can speak. I, I would, I would, I would agree that the situation in Croatia is similar. The mainstream media doesn't, doesn't want to can put much more resources into quality journalism. They don't want, they will not give the journalists to, to work on a story one month. It's impossible to see that in creation mainstream media and also like the public service is in a really bad uh, situation we we cannot i think we cannot call it public anymore it's like state television and radio so yeah it, it's a fight in the media environment to to have a big story that you work on hard and to publish that. Are you afraid of being uh, sued for your work? Uh, I know that defamation is criminalized in both your countries and certainly uh, a lot of journalists have been hauled into court on very frivolous uh, cases. Presumably this investigation is going to raise Hackles among some powerful people. Do you fear that you may end up in court in any day soon? One of the 
subjects, actually the subject of uh, Croatia's first Pandora Paper story that was not uh, supported by IJ for reasons. So that was trying to concoct a situation, I think. I don't know where that is right now, so I'm not going to go into details. Maybe they're still writing it up. But it started with basically an insane demand to publish a correction and answer a reply, which we did not because the subject was claiming things that we did not publish and was basically trying to frame us in a way. So we decided against it and we are now waiting if that demand is going to turn into a, a slap. Uh, a, a slap, of course, is a strategic litigation against public participation. For listeners who don't know, this is a Sorry. very effective tool for trying to silence the media almost yeah. preemptively by frivolous lawsuits to stop them doing their work. Yeah, because this particular story was actually a huge follow-up to a story that we published um, uh, earlier, more than a year before, in in Ostro-Slovenia. And we had a, an agreement with uh, national media in Croatia to, to publish it basically alongside with us uh, on the same day. But they dropped out within the last sort of five, seven, six, seven days before publication. Mostly some of them were claiming that they don't have time to do fact-checking, which they don't have in any of these media. So basically the story was effectively censored at the national level in Croatia. And I presume that this subject company decided that because it was so well received and the follow-up, the big follow-up was so well received and republished by practically all Croatian media October last year, that they would jump on that train and try to, if they couldn't prevent the publication, they will probably try to prevent the further publication of stories. But we have published another one uh, couple of months after so <laughs> we're not really backing up and Good continue to do so <laughs> yeah <laughs> the media gets scared easily in the problem is that so interest groups have captured Croatian media a long time ago interest groups have are on the verge of capturing Slovenian media at the moment uh, so Slovenian media's development looks like it's going towards the Croatian media development, which is not very good. So this is one of the reasons why the mainstream media really doesn't get into problematic stories because they can be, even if they just republish a story by Ostro, they will have problems with the interest groups that they are supposed to take care of. And then it depends on, on who is the subject of such a story and if they have a wide net of influence in various kinds of media, then they will make sure that this story never comes out in a mainstream media. And if the mainstream media doesn't pick up that story, it's likely that the public is not going to pick that pick up that story because us, the nonprofit media, don't have the reach of mainstream. And so it's quite hard to break through with the stories that we do in a way, unless they are extremely close to whoever's in power. And then, of course, some media will always be interested in publishing it because they want to show themselves as being against or for a particular government. Yeah, so this uh, definitely makes our work harder 
just to try to capture the attention of the public is much harder in this kind of situations because we write in a different way. Our narrative is different than the narrative in mainstream media. We don't mix comment and stories. The publics in both countries are used to basically seeing. And uh, yeah, we try to be extremely accurate because we are nonprofit and we don't have a budget for court proceedings, nor we have the time. We don't have the time for court proceedings. As someone who's just started a new organization or been part of starting a new organization, a cross-border journalistic uh, endeavor, shall we say, what advice would you give to other journalists out there who are maybe working in, in small nonprofits who think about branching out across borders and doing these kind of collaborative things. What, what have you learned from this very um, hectic and possibly harrowing experience? What advice might you have? Well, if you want to sleep more than five hours, then don't uh, evolve. Stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Uh, for me, uh, this it, it's very, it's very exciting. It's hard working. So I think you need to be prepared to have a lot of, lot of difficulties on your way in the sense of what Anushka was talking about, the reach of your story that might be frustrating, but then you have to keep in mind that more frustrating might be to work in some mainstream media, media where you cannot do the things you want to do, professional things and the way that we do it here. So I think you need to be patient and uh, stubborn and uh, don't quit. Patient, stubborn, don't quit and be insane, basically. Be insane, yeah, 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 that's much more. The four pillars of investigative journalism. <laughs> be stubborn, don't quit and... Don't be well, insane or be insane. Don't be insane. <laughs> be insane. You have to be yeah. because Bashika is exaggerating a little bit. We do sleep more than five hours. However, October. Time to time. Yeah, September, October were very tough on our sleeping patterns because, yeah, it was just really a lot. Uh, and also, Ostro has a pretty brutal editorial process in both countries. So, it was, it just took a lot of time because be before we nailed all the stories to, so that they would be able to be published and we would also sleep well uh, that night in Ho-Ho without worrying that we did, that we made some, mm -hmm. that we made a mistake. Yeah, I, I was joking, I, but like, like when I'm thinking, I, I think that it, it is worth to get involved with some project like this because it means that you will be able to Work, work hard to work good and that in the end you will see the impact it will not maybe come as fast as you expect but it will come yeah that's the thing impact does not come as fast as we would want it to come and yeah one has to be patient but patience in a way is key because at least for these two centers when you work from Zagreb and from Ljubljana and you're trying to investigate a story together Masha say more about that maybe but it's you can you, you need patience and you need uh, some sort of conviction within yourself that you know that you are going somewhere for a reason and that you hope that something will turn out from what you do 
and that people will react and so on. But you don't see that immediately. And sometimes you don't see it for a while. I think it was that much harder not, uh, in this case because, like I said, the team in Croatia was very fresh. Mashenka worked with Ostro since 2018, but the rest of the team was new. So it, I presume very challenging for both teams to all of a sudden work together and investigate these stories together. So it did take longer than we expected. For example, the last story for the IJ4 EU project, Small Haven for White Collar Crime, we published later than we expected because uh, it simply just turned out to be much more demanding and especially to try to nailed such a story in two countries without really being able to meet, just keeping everything online and so on. So there's lots of challenges of working together on such stories, but I think this is just the beginning for us. So we'll get better at it. Best of luck to you as you do. And congratulations on everything you've achieved with this investigation. For listeners who are interested in seeing more, they can, of course, go to the IJ4EU website, ij 4 eu Dot net, where they can find a small haven for white collar crime in the project section. Thank you very much to both of you, Anushka Delic, Thank you for having Nishenka us. Bacic. It's been a pleasure and uh, best of luck with everything. <laughs>